Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. So, Miss Sue, I was looking for you, and I said Miss Sue Duncan, and I meant Miss Sue McLean. Please forgive me, Miss Sue. I'm so sorry. Miss Sue McLean is having surgery. I sat down, and, and it came to me. So, thank you. Sorry, Miss Sue. Uh, but be praying for Miss Sue McLean uh, this week. She's having surgery on Tuesday. Uh, forgive me. All right. Luke chapter 23. So, all right, preaching the thief on the cross. Now, I have a confession to make. I've never preached this passage before, but most of the time I've ever heard it preached, it's always been with kind of the emphasis of that it's never too late. It's never too late. There's always a, an opportunity, and, and even that there's a kind of this deathbed confession mentality, and, and praise God that that's true. Praise God that it is never too late to trust Jesus and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ it's never too late as long as you have a breath. Amen? Um, and I can't tell you how many stories I think I could tell, and probably you could tell some too, about uh, how God's grace allowed somebody in the hospital, in hospice, to wake for just a few moments and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Even sometimes after a dream or a vision of Christ, they wake up, and in that last final moment, they confess Jesus. What a glorious truth that is. But today, I want to point to what I think is the far more beautiful truth in this passage that we see. And I want you to understand this idea that we are justified by grace alone. Justified by grace alone alone. And so that's what I want you to see. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I promise I'll help it make sense to you in a few minutes. So here we are. Uh, we're going to look back for just a second. We'll catch up with what's on the screen in, in just a moment. But um, last week we talked about Father, forgive them and how Jesus in his final moments, his last breaths was not pleading for anybody else or, or was not pleading for himself, but for everybody else. He was begging God, forgive them, forgive them, Father, Forgive them. And the them is the mourners who are weeping on the road. It's the ones who betrayed him. It's his disciples who have fled away from him. It's, it's the ones who abused him and tortured him and mocked him and scoffed at him. It's the ones who uh, are railing at him from the cross. It's the ones who even held the nail and hammered the nail into his wrists and into his feet. He's saying, Father, forgive them for they do not, what they, do not know what they're doing. 
he's pleading uh, for their, to God for their forgiveness on behalf of them. They don't even know that they need it. They've rejected him at this moment. But he's pleading for them nonetheless. And from the cross, Jesus is not just looking to those who are right around him. But from the cross, in Jesus' uh, omniscience that he knows everything... He was looking to eternity past and he was looking to eternity future and he was envisioning your life and my life and he was pleading there on the cross in that moment for your salvation and for mine, for your forgiveness and for mine, for your justification and for mine. He was pleading to God there on the cross for everyone who would call on his name in faith. And that's great news. And the mockers and the criminals would cry out time and time again, He saved others, let Him save Himself. If you're the King of the Jews, save yourself. But they didn't understand what they were asking, did they? Because if Jesus were to save Himself, if Jesus were in that moment to climb down off that cross and say, alright guys, I had enough, I'm out of here, that would mean our eternal punishment, our condemnation, But Jesus is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. It was not nails that held Him to that cross, but rather it was His love that kept Him there. And what good news that is. If you get tired of me saying what good news, if you find another book for me to preach that's not good news, but this book is full of good news. I just can't get over how good God is. And so we see, we see that, that Jesus is hanging there willingly and he doesn't save himself because he's choosing in that moment to save us. And there was an inscription in verse 38 that hung above Jesus. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And I remember even the Pharisees, the Pharisees wanted them to say, no, don't write that. He wasn't the king of the Jews. Rather, right, he says, I'm the king of the Jews. It was Pilate who said, what I've written, I've written. He's the king of the Jews. One criminal cried out. Let's look at verse 39. Let's look at verse 39 on the screen. One criminal uh, cried out. He's railing at him. He said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Save yourself and us. And, And he was, wasn't he? He's hanging on the cross. He is the Christ. And he was going to save himself sooner or later. But right now, Jesus' concern is to save them. To save them. And I want you to hear what the other criminal said. Remember, there's a criminal on each side of him. Again, proving the fact of Isaiah 53 that says he he suffered in the presence of sinners. That he's hanging in between two thieves and one of them says, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And then there's the one on the other side who we're going to focus on today. Verse 40, But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, he's looking at him, he's looking at his friend maybe who is mocking Jesus and he says don't you you don't get it you don't get it do you see we're hanging here because we deserve to be here 
but this man is innocent. Don't you fear God? Because if you agree with what's happening right now, you're not agreeing with God. He got it. This, this criminal, he got it. He, he's, he rebuked his friend. Don't you fear God? We're under the same sentence of condemnation. We're dying too. And he says, and we indeed justly. I want you to understand that we are the criminal on the cross hanging next to Jesus. And we, like this man, say, if that's what we get, it's because that's what we deserve. But not Jesus. If that's what he gets, it has nothing to do with what Jesus deserves. He got it. And then he looks at Jesus, verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's the criminal's name? We don't know, do we? This nameless criminal knew that he and his friend were getting what their sins deserved. Like Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. It's basically pointing back to the Old Testament that says, a man should die for his own sins. He knew they were getting what he deserved or they deserved. And he also knew that Jesus was not getting what he deserved. He had done nothing deserving of death and he knew who Jesus was. How do I know that he knew who Jesus was? Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, this this thief on the cross, this criminal hanging beside Jesus knew about Jesus. He knew that he was the king. He knew that he was the Messiah. He knew that he was the promised one. He knew that he would come into a kingdom whether he died or whether he didn't. He knew. He got it. And in faith, in this moment, in faith, he looked upon Jesus and asked him very simply, please remember me when you get into your kingdom. When you ascend your throne of grace and mercy, Would you please remember me there before the Father? What do you think the crowd's thinking? The criminal cries out, remember me in your kingdom. The crowd surrounding him, good luck, buddy. Yeah, that's going to be a long shot for you, bud. This is the definition of what Catholics call a Hail Mary right here. Football, you're a football fan, it's that last minute, throw it as far as you can and cross your fingers and hope that somebody with your same jersey on catches it. It's a long shot. But he, in this moment, he confesses his sin and he casts himself upon the mercy and saving power of Jesus there on the cross. Now, we would assume that because we know that Jesus is God in the flesh, that Jesus would respond just like the crowds did. (laughs) Good luck, buddy. You had your time. You had your opportunity to turn from your sin and repent. Good luck. But Jesus didn't respond like everybody expected him to. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't respond like he should to us? 
Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Truly, I say to you, today, he says to the thief on the cross. And I just imagine the gaze of Jesus looking upon the criminal being crucified next to him, gazes deeply at him and says, one thing I can make a promise about. Truly I say to you, it's where the King James Version says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Truly I say to you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. What a good promise. This man had no moral ground to stand on, did he? He had no uh, moral uh, ground for his request. But Jesus grants his request and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Daryl Bach, uh, one commentator, Daryl Bach says, um, The taunts or the request of the taunts has been granted to the one who believes. What did they say? Save yourself and save us. They were mocking him. And then this one who believes looked on him and said, Just remember me today. Truly I say to you, Today you'll be with me in paradise. The requests of the taunts have been granted to the one who believes. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise. He didn't say heaven necessarily, but he said paradise. Do you remember the garden? Garden in Genesis, the beauty of the garden. The garden's coming back is what Jesus is pointing to. It's pointing to, uh, in Isaiah, the restoration of all things. When that time of restoration comes, there will be a new garden. And if you read the book of Revelation and you read to the end of the book, there's a new heaven and a new earth, and there's a new garden. And guess who's in the garden with His people? God is. And guess what's in the center of the garden? The tree of life, which is leaves its leaves are for the healing of the nations and it's offered to everyone and there is the river of living water that flows through the middle of the new garden in the new heavens and the new earth and he is pointing forward and he's saying today you will be with me in paradise there it's where the very presence of God is among his people face to face and he says today you'll be with me there because you've acknowledged your sin and you've looked upon me and you've given me this simple request today you will be with me when we look upon God face to face it's where God will satisfy every one of our needs. It's where God will grant us the deepest joy of our hearts. It's where God will wipe away every tear. It's where God, according to Psalm chapter 16, will um, grant us every pleasure for eternity. It's where we will feast with God and experience His glory, as it says in Isaiah chapter 25. And He says, today you'll be with me there. So we see in this passage an illustration of this wonderful, glorious truth of the gospel message, justification by grace alone. So the word justification means to, um, I've heard one preacher say, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. It means to be made right. It means to be aligned with a true standard. On your computer, if you're working in a Word document, there is a justify or justification which aligns everything with a standard. 
And that's exactly what it means for us, that we are aligned with the standard, which is God, His perfect, holy character. We are aligned with Him. In Scripture, to be justified means to be declared righteous, blameless, without reproach. And in Scripture, we see that we cannot do this for ourselves. Our sinful natures and our sinful lives have caused us to get out of alignment with God. And no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard you try, you can't get back in alignment once you've gotten out of alignment with Him. And that's the theme of the Bible, isn't it? The theme of the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3, everything broke. And the theme of the Bible is how do we get back in alignment with God? How, do we, how are we to be justified with God, to be brought back right with God so that we might have a relationship with God? And so God gives them the law. Why? Is it to show them that by keeping the law they'd be righteous? No, it's by showing them that keeping the law they cannot be righteous. It gives them sacrifices. Is it so that the sacrifice would make them righteous? No. Why? Because if they provide a sacrifice today, what are they going to do tomorrow? Sin. It's to show them that they need something better than an animal sacrifice. He gives them the prophets to point forward to the time where a Messiah would come and make everything right. He gives them the Word of God. He gives them kings. Why? To show them that a king would rescue them? No, to show them that a king can't rescue them. Not an earthly king, at least. See, that's the theme of the Bible. And no matter how hard I try, I can't get right with God. I just can't do it. Because if I sin... My future good deeds can't erase the sin that is on my slate. All the good deeds that I do from this moment forward can't erase what I've already done in my past. Have you tried? Doesn't work, does it? No matter how good I behave, I still bear the guilt of yesterday's sin or yesteryear's rebellion. Not only can I not wipe away, can good deeds not wipe away the sin of my past... But good deeds can't change my heart. And the theme of the Bible is that it's not a sin problem, it's a heart problem. And we've got sin in our hands because we've got sin in our hearts. And so if you want to be righteous, the first step is that God would change and heal our hearts. We need someone to do for us that, what we, or that which we cannot do for ourselves. I can't remember which, if it was Martin Luther or John Calvin, he said, we need an alien righteousness. A righteousness that comes from, not within us, but from without us. It comes from, it's not of this world. We need that kind of righteousness if we're ever to be made right with God. And we see this perfectly in the thief on the cross. See, the thief was justified. And he did nothing to earn his justification. He was made righteous, yet his life, all of his life, was completely unrighteous. We see that he was justified by grace as a gift. It was due to nothing that he had done. 
In fact, it was despite the the life that he lived. And so I want to look at this truth of being justified by grace alone. This is what the gospel declares. That we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. And Jesus came and lived a sinless life. Died a sinner's death. And was raised on the third day. So that his death would pay for the penalty of our sins. And his life, his perfect sinless life would be attributed to us. That in the great exchange of the gospel, I give him my sins and he gives me his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. He gets our sin and he gives us his righteousness. What do we have to do to deserve that? Nothing. Isn't that good news? Nothing. And I want to look at three three things or three ideas about this wonderful, glorious truth. Number one is it's a confronting truth. It is a confronting truth. Can you imagine what the crowd was thinking when Jesus said, Today you'll be with me in paradise? Are you kidding me? That's outrageous. This guy has done nothing to deserve what you just told him he's going to get. It's confronting. And aren't they right? He's done nothing to deserve it. That's why it's called grace. I mean, you see this all through the Bible. The Bible kind of reveals this through parables and stories. Uh, you, you think of the story or the parable of the prodigal son. We see the younger son run away and squander all of his life on scandalous living. But the older brother, he stays at home and he obeys and he does what's right and he does what's good. And when the younger son finally comes back home to the father's house, the father runs out and restores him fully to sonship. And the older brother says, what are you doing? Dad! Do you not understand that he squandered everything that you gave him? And now you're welcoming him back in? Do you understand what this is going to cost you? Uh-huh. I do. And I'm welcoming him back nonetheless. Listen, I've been in your house my entire life. I've obeyed all the rules. I've worked really hard for you. And you hadn't even given me a goat. But he's getting the fat calf. It's not fair. It's confronting. It confronts us in our pride. It confronts our, our culture. Because our culture kind of says, you got to do good and try hard and be good. And if you are good and try hard, God helps those who help themselves. But what we see in this passage is that God helped somebody who could not in this moment help themselves. He could do nothing for himself, yet God intervened in this man's life to do something for him that he couldn't do. We see it in the parable of the day's wage where Jesus tells this parable and there's a man who owns a farm and he hires people into work in his vineyard. And he hires one at 6 a.m. in the morning. He hires another at 7 a.m. in the morning. Hires another at noon. And he hires another at 1. And then he hires another at 3. And then he hires another at 5.30 in the afternoon. And at the end he lines them all up and he says, all right, get ready for your pay. And he goes down. 
And he gives each one of them a day's wage. And finally, the one that's been there all day says, this isn't fair. I've been working my tail off for you, and he just got here, and you gave him what I got. It's not fair. God says, I know it's not fair. It's grace. It's grace. You remember, have you, is, did you ever learn the, the, this evangelism method with um, the question, starting with the question, if you were to stand before God today and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? I love using that question. I still use that question on a regular basis. When I'm talking to somebody, I, I'll walk up to him. If, if you were to, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with God? Well, do you believe there's a heaven and a hell? Well, if you were to stand before God in heaven, he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you answer him? Can you imagine the thief's answer this day? He gets to heaven. What's he going to say? Now, here's the thing. This is why it's confronting. This is why it's confronting. If, If I were to ask you that question, and if your answer starts out in the first person, well, I... If it, well, I go to church, I, I read my Bible every day, I'm a pretty good guy, I ask Jesus into my heart, I, if I start in the first person, I've immediately neglected the truth of the gospel. Immediately. I've missed the point of why I need the gospel. The only appropriate answer for if God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, is not in the first person, I did this, or I did that, or I asked, or I trusted, or I I got saved. The only appropriate answer is in the third person. Jesus did this. Jesus died for my sin. Jesus lived for my righteousness. Jesus fulfilled the law for me. Jesus. It's the only appropriate answer. It confronts our culture. It confronts our upbringing. It, con- it confronts our false ideas of fair. It's confronting. Let's just be honest. If, if I believe that I'm going to get into heaven because of I, I whatever, that's either going to lead you to two things. Number one, it's going to lead you to despair. Because if you think it's up to you and how good you can be and I, 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 then is I, let me tell you the truth, I is always going to fall short. I is always going to mess up. I is never going to reach the mark. It's either going to lead you to despair or it's going to lead you to pride. Where we look down our noses at other people because I, (laughs) and they can't because I did. It's like the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector where the Pharisee strolls up into the temple and he says he raises his hand and lifts his eyes to heaven and he said oh God thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there because I do this I tithe I go to temple I do all these things every day thank you that I'm not like him and then the tax collector 
can't even lift his eyes. He stands way far off in the back and he beats his chest and he says, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, which one of these is going to go down to his house justified? He says, Jesus answers his own question. He says, I tell you the truth, it's the second one. Second one's going to go justified to his house. Why? Because we are justified not by works, but by grace alone. It is a confronting message. Truth. It's confronting. It confronts my pride. But it's, it's also a comforting truth. It's a comforting truth. Go back to the, the question, the thief comes to heaven and the person at the pearly gates says to the thief, so, so uh, how'd you get here? And the thief goes, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Okay, well, let's ask you a few questions. What church are you a member of? Right? Ha, when, when were you baptized? And the guy's like, I wasn't a member of any church. I was never baptized. The guy standing at the front gate goes, give me a minute. Let me go get my supervisor angel over here. I need some help. Supervisor Angel comes back and he says, okay, okay, all right, let me ask you a few questions. What do you think about the doctrine of justification by grace alone? Thief on the cross goes, I don't know what you mean. All right, all right, give me, let me give you a softball question. What about the inerrancy of Scripture? The what? Can you just imagine Supervisor Angel going, okay. On what basis are you here? The guy on the middle, middle cross told me to come. That's our basis. Don't ever forget, that's our basis. Our basis is not found in what do I do. Isn't that good news? It's comforting news. Because if I can do it, I can undo it. But if Christ did it, I cannot undo what Christ did. He died for me when I was still a sinner. So what happens when I'm still a sinner? He still died for me. I'm justified by grace alone. The man on the middle cross told me to come. If my answer begins with I, it's going to lead to despair. Or pride. But if my answer, when my answer is He, He did it. On my good days, it won't lead me to pride because my good days didn't get me there. His grace did. This leads, this is such a comforting truth. And on my bad days, guess what? It still is grace alone. See, for, for many of us, this, this beautiful truth, if, we don't, if we're not careful, we have the tendency to go back to, even after trusting Jesus' sufficient work on the cross, we have the tendency to go backward and to live in the first person. Alright, I know that He died for me, but now I. 
Now I've got to do. And I've got to please Him. And I've got to live for Him. Now those things are true, but I don't do them for salvation, but I do them from salvation. I don't do them so that I'd be justified. I do them because Christ has already justified me by grace alone. Why do I preach the gospel every time I preach? It's so that we don't get caught up in the I mentality. It's to remind us that salvation is not of ourselves, but it's the gift of God. It's to remind us of the truth that Paul says it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. Grace alone. So what do I have to do if I'm in that place where I, I've been trusting in the eye for far too long? What do I need to do? Do what the, the thief on the cross did. I know that I deserve what I'm getting right now. And so would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He knew who he was. Trust Jesus' identity. Trust his innocence. Believe on him. Just look to him. See your need and see Jesus. Grace. It's a confronting truth. It's a compelling or it's a comforting truth and it's a compelling truth. Who's got a better message than we do? Ain't nobody has a message like the message of the cross. This message that we are justified by grace alone, that we're saved by no merit of our own, but only by the merits of Christ, that message should compel us. Do you remember? Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me, it compels me. It should compel us to go and tell people about the great news of grace alone. It should compel us to tell our friends and our neighbors and our family that Jesus alone saves. It's not unloving to be so narrow-minded. In fact, being compelled by the gospel out is the most loving thing that we can do. And I just want to encourage you. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you having at your dinner table? Who are you inviting out to lunch? Who are you intentionally meeting with to share the gospel? This message is far too good for us to keep. One of the fun things about being at a church with a number of older people is they have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And it's beautiful because when you have a grandbaby, let me tell you, you're not ashamed to talk about your grandbaby, are you? Man, you love it. Look, at, look what they did. Look what they did. You see it? They painted. They painted, Ryan. I'm going, what is it? You just don't have the eye for art, Ryan. This is my grandbaby. It's beautiful. See, these kind of these kind of things make us proud. And this truth so much more should compel us to go out and tell people. It's, it's not too late until it's too late. 
It's not too late to go out and tell people until Jesus comes back and then it's too late. This message should compel us. And I want to be the kind of church, I want to be the kind of man, and pray for me, I'm so far from this, I don't preach what I'm saying because I have accomplished what I'm saying. I preach what I'm saying knowing that the Bible encourages this of us. Not because I'm perfect in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reminds us, therefore if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation by which it's God making his appeal to people through us. Be reconciled to God for we are his ambassadors. I just want to be his ambassador and nobody's got a better message than we do. Would you stand with me? We're going to close our time of preaching and and come to a moment of response and if you'd like to respond in some way you'd like to trust Jesus maybe you've been trusting I instead of trusting him that your answer's always been I I I and today you recognize that that is no basis to stand before the throne of grace but only God's grace shown to us through Jesus that's our only merit and so today if you'd like to trust Jesus If you're interested in joining Seneca Baptist Church and you want more information about that, I'd love to sit with you for a minute. If there's something in your life I can pray for you about, I'd love to pray with you. But let's not miss an opportunity to respond. Let's pray. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Freely bestowed on all who believe. All who are longing to see His face. Will you this moment His grace receive? Father, would you please help us to see and behold and look upon with our hearts, with faith, look upon that marvelous, infinite, matchless grace of the cross. to consume it, to be consumed by it, and that we would take that grace into our hearts by faith, that we would look upon the the man on the middle cross just like the thief did and say, he told me to come. It's because of him. Father, I, I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this room, those who have trusted Him. I pray that if we are living out of I, would you cause us to repent today? Lead us to repentance that we might stop living in I, but live in He. Father, I, I pray for those who are lost in this room. They do not have Jesus as Savior and Lord, that you would cause them today to have a faith to look upon Jesus and trust Him. And I pray for each and every one of us, O God, that You would compel us into the highways and the hedges to tell people that the wedding feast is open. And they're invited because the man on the middle cross told them to come. Father, 
We love you. Make us through your message, through your word, through singing, make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.